Welcome, 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 everyone, to the Improbably Speaking podcast. Woohoo! I'm your host, Dana Gowan, and I'm so grateful that you're joining today because we have a fantastic, fun, and funny guest on today. It's sure to be a blast. You're going to have a good time, and I know I'll have a good time too. For anyone who's joining that's new and you need a recap of what we're all about here on this podcast, I like to interview three different types of guests. One, our experienced improvisers. Two, people who've signed up for improv classes to help them with professional and personal life skills. And three, people who use improv in their daily lives and jobs and don't even think of it as improv, but improv is everywhere. So really, everyone uses it in their daily lives. And our guest today is an experienced improviser who lives and breathes, and eats, and drinks in improv, and he does it in everything he does. He just loves improv so much. So I'm so excited to jump in and learn all the things from our guest today, Fernando Funes. Fernando Funes is a writer and performer who produces shows in the LA and Orange County area. Some of his improv shows include Dazed and Confused Poetry Club, Duo It Again, which is a new one for 2023, which usually performs at the Lyric Hyperion, The Duplex and Fernando's Long Form Supreme at the Glendale Room, Cuñadas y Carnales, which is a Latinx panel show, and The Piñata Party at the Ledge Theater. He is currently on the Pack House Improv Team Nuisance and Pack Sketch House Team Moonshot. He also performs with the Company of Angels in L.A., which is super cool. His short form, The American Dream, has been featured in over 43 film festivals, including the Philadelphia Latin Film Festival. He founded the Latinx theater company, the Latinx comedy Pachanga, which is a variety show featuring some of the best Latinx sketch comedians, stand-up comics, and musical artists. He is a graduate of the Pack Theater Sketch Program, Spectacles Improv Engine in Orange County, and of Endgame's Improv in San Francisco. Literally, he has performed in hundreds, might be thousands now, hundreds (laughs) to thousands of shows in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Francisco, Oakland, and even Brazil, which is amazing. He enjoys writing, improv comedy, and celebration, and he loves, and I mean absolutely loves, to bring people together. Please welcome the super fantastic, super fun, super funny, Fernando Funes. Welcome, Fernando. Hey, awesome. Thank you for having me, Dana. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm very honored and excited to talk with you today. Oh, I'm loving that you're on, and I'm so excited to chat. You have a wealth of improv and sketch and just overall comedy experience, so I'm excited that you're here. Yeah, please uh, ask away. Happy to share whatever whatever you want to hear. Absolutely. And for our listeners, 
Fernando and I met at one of your LA improv summits, which I know is on hiatus for a little bit right now, but Mm -hmm. one of your improv summits. And then uh, we both went to Camp Improv Utopia Yosemite in September 22. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm so glad I met you in both. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool meeting you. I'm so glad you're doing this. This is like a Herculean effort. Anything (laughs) that is a podcast is such, it's so much work. It is a labor of love for sure. And I know we were talking a bit before this and you said you're kind of feeling inspired to start your improv podcast up again after a little hiatus. Yeah, I was looking up, uh, you know, just talking to you about this and I have two recordings on Zoom that yeah. I have to download and upload. It's just like you have to go listen to it and you have to like take out bullet points and you have to write a description and it's just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It is always way more fun to be a guest on a show than to be the host. Yeah. So thank you for doing it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's so, it's so cool meeting you and uh, yeah, you're getting into it too. You're like, you're really just jumping head first into the improv scene, right? I'm trying. I'm about three years in uh, versus how long have you been doing improv? 11 plus? Have you lost track oh, now? Man, I wish it was 11 plus. Let me see here since like fall 2008. So I don't know, 13 and a half years, maybe? Yeah, that's no longer. I don't know. It's it's a, it's a long time. Oh, we have to do math right now. <laughs> that's oh, 14 fi- and a half years. 14 yeah. and a half, almost 15. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm in too deep to quit now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that mentality. Like I've been too deep. I've I've given this much. I've given almost 15 years. I might as well just keep going, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm having fun. Uh I do I also do sketch and that's like a, a different way of comedy. It's funny. I used to think, oh, they're all the same, but no, they're so different. They're all just so different. And the deeper you go into one, the more you realize it caters to a certain kind of person or a certain kind of person is attracted to it. So but I know. I love it all. It's all fun. Yeah, I I kind of feel that too. And I like all the different forms. I do think at the core of it, like improv shows up in all of them a little bit. You know, I think yeah. more than others. I mean, improv can show up in sketch if something goes wrong in the yeah. sketch. And then uh, certainly in acting and stand up. There's a lot of improv there. I feel like improv is kind of at the core, but really they all help each other. Right. I mean, yeah, it's funny. Uh, if you look at it, like, cause I've been very involved in sketch the past few years, every sketch person that I know, they do two out of three, which the two out of three are stand up, improv and sketch. Mm-hmm. So it's either someone does stand up and they do sketch or they do improv and sketch. It's very rare that you'll find someone who does all three or maybe one dabbles in all three, but like being good at all three is rare where you can be good at two. Like, you know, so it's, it's just interesting. The people who like stand up versus improv or improv versus stand up, but they'll both do sketch. It's just, it's all really interesting. For sure. Yeah. And I just took a weekend clown workshop at UCB. Have you done any clowning or anything? Yeah, I did a bunch of clowning. I'm part of uh, Catsby, which is... um, Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's the second and fourth Sunday of the month. It's a workshop and community and show. It's been going on for years now. Chad Damiani runs it, and it's a Mm -hmm. free workshop. You just got to sign up and get in the list. I'll give you the info for it. Absolutely. Who'd you take the clowning class with? Uh, Zach Zucker. 
Oh, that guy's a like a local legend. Yeah, everyone uh-huh. knows that guy. Yeah, he's real he's, funny. Which I feel like is like true clown. Like everybody knows that guy <laughs> in like the best way possible. There too, like everyone knows. Him. Oh no, um, no, clowning is. Uh, I'll say this. Not and clowning is just it's it's funny. It's like clowning is like it's kind of on the fringe of improv, stand up, and sketch. And it's not for everyone, but the people who get it and who dig it, man, they don't want to do anything else. They'll stop doing other things because they just like clown speaks to them in some crazy way it's 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 beautiful it's just like i I haven't been able to go that deep in clown as much as i sure i took it to use it to help my improv and my public speaking and stuff and i see some great applications for it certainly look to explore more but yeah i mean there's a whole world out there that is pretty cool and very interesting and it's going to take a while to explore (laughs) oh there's so much out there it's just like uh it's there's just so many things you could, you know, you could live your whole life and not do all the things that comedy has to offer. Well, and I love that, like, hey, I've been doing it for 15 years. I'm in too deep now. There's more to explore. Just got to keep going, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's fun. I think the reason I've kept it going for so long, too, is, uh, you know, new projects pop up that stimulate you creatively and they keep you just engaged so whenever a new project pops up and it's like oh that, that gets me to it and then sometimes it's funny something will end and then like there'll be a little bit of a, a pause and then something new will begin or you know i always have multiple things you know multiple uh, irons in the fire so sometimes you take one out and you play with that one a bit another ones are waiting for you to 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 go back to it when when it needs you to go back to it that's it's interesting yeah and I follow you on social media. It seems like you're always doing something. You've always got a new show going on. You're always in a show. And I want to get to that. But first, I want to just learn more about your journey. Like, how did you get into improv? Why did you start doing improv in the first place? Sure. That's a good question. Um, You know, I grew up watching a lot of comedy, just like on TV, just like TV shows and movies and my 90s kid. So the 90s were just a great time for like comedy you know you had a bunch of amazing snl cast uh the simpsons was it's like in its peak run uh the amount of just comedy movies like man like you know not to speak ill of today the movies are great don't get me wrong but just there just seemed to me so many like just amazing comedies back in the 90s and it was like the heyday of like jim carrey and mike myers and chris farley and that kind of comedy you, you know what i mean for sure so I watched a lot of that. And then uh, <laughs> I was in Virginia visiting my uncle, who was like my grandfather, kind of. And, you know, Virginia is a very boring place. Not, nothing against people in Virginia. Um, but if you grew up in Southern California, you're so used to just uh, stuff all the time. Is that where you grew up? You grew up around here? Yeah, I grew up in Santa Ana, which is in Orange okay. County. So like, yeah. you know, it, we're spoiled out here. People who are not from here, they tell me that all the time. They're like, you guys have no idea how good you have it here. <laughs> So I was in Virginia. I was in uh, Manassas Park, which I think is where the Battle of the Bull Run took place. Oh, okay. Yeah. But my uncle is an elderly uh, fellow at that time. So he could have spent a lot of time with us. And it was like kind of a suburb that it was an hour away from D.C. But culturally, it might have been like a million miles away. So there wasn't much to do. So we went to like a thrift store and there was a copy of uh, Austin Powers, Man of Mystery. I was I was with my best friend at the time. It was also into comedy. And we watched it like a million times. We just like watched it a million times because there was nothing else to do. 
And then uh, we saw the E! True Hollywood Story of Paul Rubens. Uh, yeah, in that True Hollywood Story, I learned that he was friends with Phil Hartman, who's my all-time favorite SNL cast member, and they did improv at Groundlings, and that improv was a theater that you made up. Literally, that was the first time I had ever heard of improv was in Virginia in that <laughs> E! True Hollywood Story episode that was on E! like at 3 o'clock on a Wednesday. <laughs> and that's where the seed was planted of, oh, there's a way that you can actually learn to do this. And then uh, when I was in high school, uh, my junior year, I, for some reason, I was like, I'm going to go do a play. And I had never any inclination of of doing theater ever. And it, like the, the thought had never popped into my mind. It was like, I'm going to be a comedian when I grow up. It never, never occurred to me. And I auditioned for this part in a play and I got a good part. It was like a... It's like a mid lead or something, like like a good supporting part, and uh, they just kept casting me in good parts, and I just kept doing that and doing that. Then I graduated, and I lost my confidence, and I tried doing it in community college, but I was just so nervous and such a nervous wreck, and I was a very anxious guy. And I took a few years off, but I really missed it, and um, I got laid off from my job. I had a really rough manual labor job working construction oh, rentals. No. Um, I got laid off from that job and I was like 22, maybe I was, I was, I was a kid. Uh, and I was like, I should go back to school full time. I don't want to do manual labor anymore. So uh, I went to Disneyland and I got my old job back because I worked there in high school. And I was like, all right, I'm going to school full time. I'm going to figure this out. And then there was an improv class that popped up and I was like, you know what? I got to do it just so that way I'm not an old man saying that, like, I didn't chase what I wanted, you know? So I took it and I took it at a good time. There's a lot of people in there who like were really ambitious and yeah, man, we just, we like just all of us, we all just ate and slept and, and breathed improv and started an improv club. And we like worked, we were, we like literally we rehearsed like once a week, sometimes two times a week to not do any shows. And then <laughs> we literally rehearsed one school year to do like one hour show. It was kind of crazy in retrospect. And so that's back in 2008. Yeah, 2008, yeah, okay. 2008, 2009. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because we were like, all right, this show is going to make us or break us. Like, oh, this is going to separate the boys from the men kind of thing. I don't know. When you're starting something like that, it's it's all it's all high stakes. It's all life or death. I feel that. Do you feel like that perspective has changed? Like, I mean, you're on stage how many times would you say you're on stage per week and then per month kind of thing? Oh, man. If you well, even had to estimate. I want to say right now, my goal this year is to do at least 100 shows. Okay. I've done at least 30 shows this year. I and just, we're recording in end of March-ish. Yeah. So 30, yeah, you're you're right on track. Yeah, yes. I'm doing like, I don't know, maybe two shows a week on average. Uh, sometimes there's a week I won't do anything, but then the next weekend I'll have like, four shows yeah you, you're like twiddling your thumbs like something feels off like I, I should be doing something right now this feels weird i don't have a show <laughs> yeah exactly so now it's like it's funny the other day i didn't have a good show and that's just the nature of things i didn't have a good show but it was for reasons that were under my control i just was kind of checked out i was tired okay i was like damn it fernando you effed up that you you, you shouldn't have done that you should have been better so now it's a thing where I'm like, no, all right, I have to make sure that before I go on stage, I have to uh, check in with myself and, and remind myself that, you know, 
I'm here to give a good show. People are counting on me. People bought tickets. Uh, my partners are counting on me. Uh, there's a promise I made in the advertising. I have to live up to it. Uh, which like, I would do that before. It's just like when you do so many, sometimes you forget to do that. But like the, I had a show last night. It was amazing. It was a great show. We had a packed house. Uh, we had 42 improvisers. It was awesome. So yeah, it's funny because I meet someone who's new to improv. And like, they have that, like, I'm here, I'm here to win, you know, I'm here to, I'm here to win it. And I, I support that. It's just funny. Cause I, I'm so disconnected from that now that uh, I just, I just forget. I forgot that I was that way as well. Yeah. What do you think? Where do you think the shift comes in to where, cause I feel that way, like that high stakes perspective. I certainly had that kind of like it's make or break and, oh, I've got to get on a team and I've got to be performing. I've got to be up on stage. Otherwise, what's the point of doing all of this? What's the point of spending all this money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think I'm kind of past that. But like in the beginning, like you kind yeah. of have those thoughts. So where do you feel like you had that shift where it's like, okay, it's not high stakes. I'm just going to get on stage and have fun now. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh <laughs> I think it's uh, just performing and it's it's just performing to to get better. It's like those corny quotes, you know, like you can't compare yourself to anyone but yourself. So mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, we we're also competitive with each other. It's like, I'm funnier than him. No, no, I'm funnier than you. That kind of stuff. We're all friends at the right. same time. I don't know if that's still a thing if you're starting off. I imagine it is. But um, at some point, you just like, once you've played for joy or you play to test yourself or your people you love to play with, then it shifts. Cause you're like, oh, I don't care who comes. Cause I love playing with these people or, you know, whoever shows up, shows up. But I wrote this amazing thing. I want to share it for everyone. So I think when you're coming from a place of joy, that's joy for you. Um, then I think that's where, where there's a shift that happens. The people who, who I think quit improv, uh, maybe it's like they discovered it just doesn't bring them joy. So they stopped doing it. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I just, I don't know where, 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 where it happened. Uh, it's also a thing too, though. It's like, you're not going to make everyone happy. So yeah, you can't do improv that you think is going to make a critic happy. Like I'm not like an LA times critic, like a, like a community critic, someone in the community who has influence or anything like that. And I forget about that. Oh my God, these communities. Like, oh, you make sure, better make sure that person likes you or this person likes you. <laughs> it's all, it's all kind of silly in a way, but it is for some people. It's like, ah, oh, that person better like me, or if not, I might, it might, I don't know, deter me or something like that. So I guess just playing from a place of joy. That's that's how I stay even in this crazy improv world. I love that. That is such great advice to play for joy, and I am. I am realizing that now. And the more people I meet, just the more connections, meeting people like you. And you meet a new friend almost every time you take a class or you go to a show and stuff. Like I did a jam the other day and I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And I'm not a huge jams make me nervous still. Like Yeah, they, some of them aren't great. <laughs> yeah, bad. they make they're kind of some of them are cringy and then yeah. it's just it's hard to play with new people sometimes too. And but this one was actually like I left like that was really fun and I should try to put myself out more more um, and enjoy it and you know joy comes from the enjoyment there so just remembering like what's the end game what's the why here my why is is to have fun and enjoy it 
too, which I know others have other goals from it. And that's where the high stakes comes in. Yeah, yeah, man. I think, I don't know. I've been angry at, at the improv world many times uh, <laughs> for different reasons. Um, so it's not all happy go lucky, but I think, I think you do have to be aware of what your goals are and uh, everything like that. You know, it's like, man, so many people come to LA to do improv because they think it's going to make them big. Right. And like, not, I don't want to deter anyone from doing that, but if you study all the people who got, who blew up from improv, I don't want to talk shit on improv, but it's because they did a written thing that they used improv principles to write and the writing and then the networking and the show business stuff that you got to do is what got them big. It's like they applied to a, a, you know, a contest, you know, their screenplay or their pilot or their really good performer. They did a JFL, uh, the JFL character showcase. But it's like just being on an improv team itself won't necessarily make your career. You can meet inf- important people, influential people, but it's like it's also the it's the other things that are going to break you through, you know? And it took me a while to figure that out. I was like, I'm good at improv. Why aren't I on SNL? (laughs) (laughs) That is such a good point with the writing. Cause that's the hard stuff, right? Like writing is a lot of work. I mean, improv is a lot of work too, but improv, you kind of show up, you just show up and you, you do the make them ups and it's all fun and games. Writing like sketch comedy is so hard. Cause there's so much that goes into sketch. It really is a labor of love too. sketch comedy. Like, you know, putting on a sketch show takes so much work and time versus an improv show. <laughs> Improvisers. Oh man. Cause once I started doing sketch, I, so I, I did some sketch shows in Orange County that I wrote and produced with, with some friends and we all directed it together. And they were a lot of fun, but we were just kind of like figuring out on our own. When I actually started doing a sketch at the pack theater, and I was like, oh, my God, it's so much work involved. It's like mm-hmm. it's 20 hours of work for like a 25 minute sketch show. And that's like on wow. the low end, too. And then what happens if improv and improv are spoiled because you rehearse you if you get a good house and there's magic in the air and you'll get some crazy laughs like you'll get some laughs like you're just thinking to yourself like, oh, my God, I just what did I do right now? Uh-huh. So an improv, if you've had, I've had that a, that a lot, you know, not, I'm not saying like I'm the best improviser. I just been doing it for a long time. So, you know, I've, I've had those moments, yeah. those, those nights. Oh it's, yeah. It spoils you though. Cause then you're like, Oh man. All right. All I gotta do is out there and just show up and I'll do it. And now it's sketch. It's like, no, man, it's like, all right, first off, you got to give an idea and then you got to write it down and then you got to edit it to a point where you feel comfortable bringing it to your sketch team and your sketch team has to read it. And they give you notes and you rewrite it and then you vote on it. All right. If it gets voted in, awesome. But now you have to produce it. Did you, do you have a bunch of crazy props you have to get now or costumes or you have to memorize lines and you have to figure out acting choices and stuff like that and work it for director. Then you, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. That phrase, you put in 20 hours of work plus for a 25 minute show. It's so much work, but there's a lot of joy that comes from that too. Yeah. I will say this though. It's just also the, the thing of sketch though. When a sketch hits, oh man, sometimes it's better than than an improv high. If I like, yeah, because yeah, because you're like, oh, people are laughing where I want them to laugh, or sometimes they'll laugh and at things you didn't expect. So it's like, uh, it's like, oh, okay, it's this is going better than I thought. It's playing. That's that's what they say. It's playing. 
Whereas in improv, you're just like in the moment and you're surprising and the audience is in agreement with you when when you and your team are in agreement about something and so is your audience in agreement with you, that's a magical moment. Whereas with sketch, it's different. It's like, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. It's, it's they're just kind of like, it's like they're the same coin, but they're different sides. Like one needs the other kind of. Well, and it's addicting too, because you're like, oh, I'm chasing that sketch laugh high. <laughs> like I want to make people laugh again in this next sketch and you're constantly chasing it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. And uh, it's funny. Uh, Matt Harbour, who's a pack guy, really cool guy, uh, just talented improviser and sketch. He's, he's one of those guys that's just super talented. He does characters too. Someone posted something on Facebook and I forget. He said that someone said that good improv feels like sketch because it just feels rehearsed uh-huh. and then good sketch feels like improv because you feel like you're being surprised. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a second that's- city thing, but like it, it rings true though. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, just thinking back to your whole journey, it's been 15 years in comedy. I love that you discovered improv <laughs> from Manassas, Virginia. And even though you were so close to the improv scene in Santa Ana, you you discovered it in Virginia, which is amazing. And I have to ask you, you know, how do you think the skills of improv and really comedy in general, how do you think the skills of comedy translate so well to our professional lives and personal lives? How do these skills show up everywhere? Sure. That's, I think they show up all the time. It's funny. I was, Last night we had our show duo it again. Yeah. And uh, so I got you to do. I got 20 improv duos to re-improvise the same scene over and over. So and it's two two people duo, right? Duh. Yeah. Duo. Um, and so one group, one duo starts the scene, right? Yeah. So what it is, so me and my friend Kristen Gold, she couldn't do it last night. I had Wendy in the TV dial. I don't know if you know. Wendy, Wendy, she's awesome. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, she pinched in last night, and uh, oh, she, nice. she was so awesome. She she was a uh, emergency host, co-host. <laughs> so what we do is uh, we do a base scene, like we do like a neutral scene about something, and then the other duos just do their take on that scene. Oh, so it's the same scene over and over, and uh, it's funny every time I do it. I, I learn more about it. It's like, oh, I, I can tweak it this way or tweak it that way. And it's always improving. But uh, afterwards, you know, we went to the bar last night. And, you know, you know, a show is good, too. When people are like, let's go to the bar. If no one uh-huh. wants to go to the bar afterwards, it wasn't a good show. That's the metric there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll say that much. If you ever like, if people are like, let's go to the bar. And they're like, let's go now. That's because they want to keep the high going. Uh-huh. If, if people are like, let's go home. It's because. People have shame and they don't want to see them in the eyes. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> I know. So we're at the bar and I'm hanging out with some friends and I was like, you know, every job, I'm like, what sucks about comedy is it spoils you because you have all these amazing conversations with your peers and stuff like that. And or if you work with writers, it's the same thing too. It's like when you have a job and no one's funny or no one can hold the conversation. Oh my God. I hate those jobs where you're like, Oh my God, these people are boring. And I don't mean to speak ill of them. It's just maybe you just can't relate to them how you want them to relate to you. You know, that could be selfish on my end. But I guess what I'm trying to say is you're you have great conversations at least with, with, with your coworkers. And I think what people underestimate, or at least that I underestimate for a long time, cause I'm so used to it is the public speaking aspect 
Uh, I forget that. That's like the number one fear in the world. For most people. Yeah. Like, you, did you start doing improv for public speaking around that? I conquered my fear of public speaking first because it was a huge problem for me. I would just get super red faced on stage. I would be all shaky. Like even in a room of five people, like if I was standing up and all eyes were on me, I would get so nervous and it would just multiply if there were more people in the room and, and if I'm on stage. And so I conquered my fear of that. And then it kind of grew like, okay, well, I'm not, no longer afraid. What else can I do to improve my speaking? Because I still needed lots of improvements. Mm. Um, I was still getting very nervous. I still get nervous. So that's really never going to go away. But I wanted to up my game and improv just seemed like a a good choice to do that or try it out and see. And I know other people go through different routes to get to improv, but I will say improv really helped me level up my public speaking skills. Well, there you go. It's funny. I've led so many meetings at different companies. People ask me, could you leave this meeting? I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Sure. Why not? Because you're not afraid, right? They And they know you're not afraid of public speaking. You know, it's funny. I never think of that. They just asked me and I'll say yes. But it wasn't until like, you know, I was reminded, oh, people are afraid of public speaking. So I think public speaking is just, a, it's a great skill to have, you know, doing presentations, uh, teaching classes, stuff like that. Uh, I think uh, the emotional intelligence, you know, because you have to be able to read a room and, and read oh, people yeah. and you have to use that to like, oh, okay, this person's not having a great day. Maybe leave them alone or talk to them in a way that might cheer them up or maybe they don't want to be cheered up. Maybe they just want to stew for a bit and you got to go hear them vent or something. It's an interesting skill to have, especially with uh, the jobs I've had managing up. Because <laughs> sometimes people are unaware of their emotions. I mean, we all are, but like, I know I can be that way for sure. It just helps you manage people and the creativity aspect too, man. It's just being able to yes. pitch things and just listen and build off things and stuff like that. I think it's great to be creative and empathetic, basically. Well, and listening really comes in with that empathy and emotional intelligence, which certainly improv helps you. Because if you're not listening, then you're not in the scene and you're not present. And, you know, you can't quite contribute fully, you know, if you're not fully listening. And the same thing in a conversation with someone if you're constantly thinking like, oh, I got to check my email or you're not really listening there to what their needs are, what they're really saying too. It's funny that it's funny that you bring that up. When I was in college, I took an improv leadership class. Oh, cool that they had that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I took a bunch of leadership classes and they had what's called improv, uh, improv for leaders, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a uh, someone from BATS, from Bay Area Theater Sports. They did bats and they had another improv company and he used teaching improv to business school students and to like MBA people. And they made us read this book. It was about listening. It was like just 200 pages of how to be a better listener. Oh, wow. That's intense. Yeah. There's like 10 pitfalls of listening. It like really made my listening much better. And uh, you're right, listening, I think it's such an underrated skill and it's crucial to everything we do, but we don't appreciate it because people rather be heard than, than try to, you know, process what someone else is saying. Um, the great improvisers, the ones who are really good, you know, they say that they just yes and everything, but they're listening and, you know, the great improv too, it's like layered. It's like you say yes and to something and it opens up the possibility to new things and 
those new things are just sometimes you're circling back the themes of the scene and you discover new things. That's because you're listening and you're agreeing and you're paying attention. Beautifully said. So I know you teach improv as well, right? You you kind of uh, teach on and off. The, on, <laughs> on, and, the- on and off. Oh man, I was I would when I was uh, in college, I coached my uh, college group for like two years. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, so that was that was fun. And then I coached another group for a while, and then I kind of taught sketch to my friends. I was teaching a drop-in class in Orange County for for a few months. Nice. I would teach uh, sketch writing every now and then. So I, I do it sporadically. You know, I should do it more consistently. I'm going to teach one pretty soon, actually. I taught one last year. It's uh, how to play with emotional intelligence. So it's it's really, it's real fun. I've done, I've done a lot of uh, like narrative improv. I've done a, a lot of mono scene teams. So kind of, I don't want to say like dramatic improv, but more like uh, maybe like a, like a more theater-y story yeah. story driven improv not, not not so much game uh, i love game though game's great so um and then teaching is hard too because I, I was actually uh also writing tutor on and off for like i don't know almost five years so i used to tutor oh wow. okay so, maybe maybe i'm a better writing teacher than improv teacher or i don't know but uh, i'm sure you're great <laughs> well thank you well when i teach improv in general uh what i've learned is it's like all right First off, you got to make everyone feel safe. You got to talk about uh, boundaries and stuff like that, which is important. I learned that from uh, Josh Nichols, who's a camp improv person. Great guy. Yeah. yeah I studied with him for about like like a year, year and a half. He's a great guy uh, for teaching improv, learning improv. Josh is a great guy. So is Joey Shope. I'll see Paul Spectacles Improv Engine. We oh, love, nice. Yeah. It's defunct now, but a great, it was great training. Uh, so a lot of organic improv. Uh, if you like premise improv, like UCB, that's good stuff as well. Uh, it was funny when I was in San Francisco, I was on a Herald team and we worked with a doctoral candidate from Stanford, but he was just this guy who he did. He was a UCB New York guy and he coached us once and he never coached us again. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, the guy was a Stanford doctoral candidate. He was kind of, I don't want to say he was above it, like he was better than us, but he did it for fun and for the stimulation. It wasn't his life. But apparently he was so good. He could have been an SNL, but he just didn't care for it. I'm forgetting his name. Is it, is it Dan Giberman? I think that's what it is. Well, he gave me this note. He was like, well, you know, every improv scene has a basic logic to it. Once you figure out the logic, just play the logic and you can have yourself an improv scene. And uh, at the time, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God. And then he was like, yeah, go watch Seinfeld. Seinfeld is a herald. So if you want to get better heralds, just watch Seinfeld. So I immediately started watching Seinfeld. And I just, like, binged a bunch of Seinfeld. And if <laughs> you want to get better heralds, go watch Seinfeld. It's a herald. And it's funny because, you know, in the third beat of a herald, you're supposed to bring everything together but in a way that feels seamless and not ham-fisted or forced. And if you watch Seinfeld, the way they end their shows, there's a lot of like seamless wrapping up of all the meandering storylines. It's really interesting. Yeah, I love Seinfeld. And I feel like I've heard that before and I've still not like tried to map it out while watching, but I will next time. That's- yeah, well, it's the, if you watch right, the last, my favorite two seasons are controversial. It's the last two seasons... That's when, um, what's his name, left the show. What's Curb Your Enthusiasm? What's his name? Oh, Larry David yeah. left the show? Larry David left Seinfeld. Oh, Because he I, felt like okay. he had done everything he could with it. 
So then I, he was the showrunner. So Jerry Seinfeld took over as showrunner. Oh, and okay. Those last two seasons, if you watch them and compare it to seasons one through seven, they're like a little more wacky and over the top and unhinged. And they're much more meta, too. Um, but when you're watching it as a kid, you don't realize that. But now when you're a comedian and you have all this education knowledge, you're like, oh, shit. I, it's like you see the math. You see the music notes, you know? Are those two seasons when they were creating the show about nothing? No, I think that's like seasons oh, okay. four and five. It's just like. Oh, it was, I thought that's the meta part there. Oh, I mean, there's meta in this all over it. But just yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. It's There's so many good episodes in, in those last two seasons. Uh, but it's definitely like wacky and unhinged. And like, I think that's, it's funny when they ended the show, Jerry Seinfeld, he's like, well, I want to end on top, you know, cause they could have done who knows how many more seasons. Oh yeah. But he's like, why end on top? But also if you watch it, it got so crazy. I don't know where they were going to go from, <laughs> cause it was just like right. crazy premises, but all that back to teaching. It's just like, uh, whenever I teach things, I always like having using kind of those examples to refer back to things. Cause sometimes these concepts we teach, and they're very abstract and they're very heady, you know, and it, it's kind of in your interest to kind of be well read, you know, and they tell you to be well read, but not everyone's going to be well read. And then by being well read, that means you have to stay on top of whatever is new in the zeitgeist. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's so much culture that's being produced at every moment. And you have no idea what's going to capture the world's attention that you have to watch, you know, like. I mean, I haven't seen The Last of Us, but I probably should just so when people talk about it, I know what they're talking about. I so relate to that because I have not seen any Harry Potters or uh, Star Wars. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> like, no, no worries. No worries. Yeah. But it's just like, oh, it's like, it's like you got to know it. Or you just uh, flub a scene. And as long as I feel confident enough to just pretend like I know what's going on, sometimes I don't have the confidence. If, you know, they're doing a Star Wars scene, but I just need to, like, jump in and even just make it up. And sometimes that's even funnier, too. Cause... Yeah. Because people are like, oh, she got it wrong. But it's funnier that way. Right. <laughs> well, when it comes to teaching, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if it's a strength or a weakness. But you want to build an in increments to maybe a grand lesson. So it's like a lot of smaller exercises building up to a big exercise. And then you explain the the goal and psychology of each exercise so that people feel confident going into the next exercise. So you start small to end big because people are going to have questions. So it's like you want to answer questions before people ask them basically. So that way when they go in to do something, they have more confidence doing it. I mean, it's not going to work every time, but you know, I always have questions, you know, like, or my emails, <laughs> people give me shit. People love my show emails or they hate them. They're like, they're too long. Or someone's like, oh, uh, that, I love that email. And the reason my show emails are too long is because like, I don't know if you produce shows and hopefully one day you will. Yeah. Like, uh, you get asked a million questions that are kind of, I don't want to say they're dumb questions because I don't want to discourage people from asking them. But it's like, hey, can I get a comp? How much are tickets? Where can I buy tickets? House parking? Do I have to be vaccinated? Can I wear a mask? Is there a bar nearby? Do you serve drinks? What's the bathroom? Let's just like a deluge of simple questions. So it's like, okay, if I just put this on the email and I organize it in a way that's just easy to follow, you know, it's just going to make their lives easier. It'll make my life easier too. 
I can so relate to that. I, I'm i a long email writer at work and stuff. I want to put all the information all in one place. I don't want to have this multiple back and forth game with all the questions. Like you said, I want to just put it all in one place. And if you didn't see it, then that's on you. But I put it there. I promise. Yeah. Like the other days, I feel so bad. Someone messaged me like, hey, how do I get comps? And I was like, it's in the email. <laughs> <laughs> but I still have to go find it for them. Um, right because you're super nice and you're not like refer to the email and it's like i don't know well yeah so when i teach i just try to make sure that i tell people like this is how i do improv it doesn't have to be how you do improv i also make sure to tell people when in rome do as the romans i'll say that (laughs) much because people get really caught up with their improv philosophies they really so it's like we only do ucb improv here so get Get out of here if you don't. Or we only do narrative improv. You know, go to hell if you do game or whatever. It, it, I know that all sounds silly and frivolous, but it, I think it's getting better now, though. But a few years ago, it was really bad. I always tell people, like, hey, you know, this is what I do. This is how I teach. It doesn't necessarily have to be what you do, but you can take from it what you like. But when in Rome, do as the Romans. Because some people do get really anal about like, this is the style of this place and we will not do anything else. And like, because I've done improv with different communities and different schools of thought. And sometimes it can it can get toxic. And it's like, oh, all right, well, I won't do any of my other crazy stuff from the other places. I'll just try to play your music. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. And that makes me sad because the, the core of it is the joy of doing improv. And I, I know we get caught up in the fundamentals and the logic of it all but at the core of it is the joys and sometimes we lose sight of that too well here's my theory too because i've been doing it for so long yeah um and i feel that like if i wasn't doing improv i'd probably be running a church or something uh (laughs) no it sounds crazy there's a lot of parallels with with improv and religion it's it's kind of crazy how so yeah this is what happens you've been doing it for almost 15 years uh, I feel that people, what they want to get out of religion or what they get out of religion, they get out of improv, you know, you get a uh, community, you get connections Connection. to people, you yeah. get uh, relationships, you get this weekly sort of coming together, you get answers to life in a way there's like a rubric that you can, you know, refer back to if you have questions about life. I mean, not all, not all the rules are going to work, but people are like, oh, okay, I have to yes and or you know, um, a denial is not great stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. uh, we also, I don't like this a lot. Um, we like revere teachers maybe too much sometimes. And sometimes some teachers don't they take advantage of it. I'm not, you know, I, yeah. I, I, maybe I'm in that sense too. Maybe I'll be corrupted one day. Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> never, like, you never. <laughs> yeah. But it's just funny though. And then like, you know, uh, People, they donate time and money to it. You know, it's in these small markets. It's the people paying for classes, buying tickets to shows that are keeping these theaters alive and paying for the teachers and artistic directors, stuff like that. People meet love all the time. My God, how many marriages have I seen being born out of uh, out of improv <laughs> theaters? Uh, yeah. And, not, and sometimes there is that cliche of teachers eating students. And that does happen. And, you know. It is what it is, but you'll see students or just people, oh, they're married now. They have a kid together, which is beautiful. But also the like culty aspects of religion too. Oh man. yeah. Cause there's some, there's some communities where it's like, there's one guy runs everything. 
and you better obey him or he will blacklist you and you will never perform in this town again. Right. Yeah, it's weird. That's weird. So like, it's just, it's crazy to see the parallels between religion, the good and the bad uh, in the improv world. Um, I have never thought of that, but everything you said was so spot on that the parallels, that's a crazy connection, but it's true. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it works. I know. I know. It's weird because there's certain places where like, <laughs> it's kind of like, they're like, hey, join us. We, you know, we'd love to have you here. It's like, come on, like, join the community. And it feels like they're inviting you to join their church. And it's like, uh-huh. And it's like, oh, it's so nice of you, you know? And uh, You stand out of the park giving pamphlets to the improv theater, your improv show. Like, come to our improv show. Well, and I've been part of other improv theaters where they're like, all right whatever you teach you can't teach the, these following things are these following things go against what we believe in improv you can't teach them or we highly discourage you from exposing people to these things because we only want them to know what we teach them see that's that's why i you know I, i'd be like a unitarian or something like that because i'm <laughs> I, I like all of i love game i love narrative i love clown love sketch it's all a fusion if you know how to do it right it's a fusion, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, Teach, I've got a question for you. Yeah. This is sketch specific, very yeah. personal question here. But I I have a writing partner. I'm not taking any classes right now, but I feel like I should uh, because I really am motivated by deadlines and I'm finding I'm not writing on my own. Yeah. So I think I'm going to sign up for a sketch class soon just to motivate me and keep me on track with writing but i have a a writing friend we meet monthly usually once a month and i started writing a sketch and i just don't love it i didn't even finish it i got like two pages in and we were trying to brainstorm some ideas and punch up and i just like i don't love it so do i put more time and energy into this sketch that i don't love this premise i don't love or do I just scrap it and move on to something else? What's your advice there? I would say finish it and then move on. Okay. Just like give yourself a day. Like you, you have half an hour to finish that sketch. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you just like, you say like version one of sketch complete. You save it in your sketch folder and you move on. Because I think what happens if writing too is two things. You want to keep writing at all times because you're always improving. You just don't know. It's kind of like you're improving in these tiny, tiny increments. But because you don't see immediate growth, you think you're not improving. And that if you're consistent. So just finish it so that you can see you finished it so that you can move on to the next thing. So you don't let that being incomplete prevent you from creating the next thing. So like, as you know, I wrote a poem for every day of the year. So that's the thing yes. I've been doing. Yes. So two reasons I do that. Well, one reason I have a buddy named Liam O'Manny. It was his birthday on Saturday. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. We used to be an improv team called Big Selfie and love that guy. One of the greatest improvisers. Oh, nice. Ever. He's kind of like the Robin to my Batman. Great guy. <laughs> Great guy. Um, at the time, I'd, I'd be writing poems sporadically on Instagram. And I was like, man, I used to be a poet. He was like, you still are a poet. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. And it's funny. Sometimes improv teachers... Uh, like Brian James O'Connell, he's a big proponent of this. He's like, you sign up for this class, you're an improviser. That's it. That's all it takes. You don't have to do this for years. You think this class makes yeah. you an improviser. And uh-huh. uh, I think sometimes maybe there could be like, 
am I part of this thing? But you, you, just by you doing it, you're already part of it. So that could be part I of it. I love that too. Yeah. So you are a poet. Exactly. And you're a sketch writer and you're an improviser. You know, you don't need to do this for many years to say or that you're those things. And another thing too is there's this marketer guru. He pays that word. His name is Seth Godin. And uh, he's big on marketing and he writes about, I don't know, the modern economy and stuff like that. I love business stuff too on the side when I can read it, I like leadership stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I could tell. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Uh, he has a book called Lynchpin. And I went to go see him okay. speak. A company paid for it a few years ago. That's pretty cool. I went to go see him speak. They had copies of it. And the book is called Lynchpin. And it's how to become an indispensable person and your your job, your community, whatever it is. And uh, one of the key arguments is that linchpins, they ship. So what shipping is, is that you create something and you publish it out into the world and then you move on to the next thing. So if you create a habit of shipping in whatever area that is that you want to ship, you will be changed by the process in ways that you can't imagine. And also your art that you put out into the world that will change the world in a way you can't imagine, mostly for the positive, you know, for creating good things. But just by shipping, once you get in the habit of shipping, you're just in the habit of creating things. And every creative thing builds on the previous creative thing. And if you haven't created enough things, you might not know that, you know? So that's why I say like, write this one just to say you wrote it and then move on to the next one. And maybe that next one might not be great, but finish that one. And maybe the third one might not be great, but then maybe the fourth one is just like the most incredible thing you ever wrote that you had never thought you would write because because you had to get those other ideas out first. I'm so glad I asked that because that was, that was a, a great answer. Very helpful answer that I needed to hear today. And I think you're spot on because I've been kind of, I'm like thinking about this sketch going like, why can't I finish it? Oh, it's bad. I should just scrap it. I should move on. But what I'm hearing is it's almost hard to move on because you're going to be beating yourself up going, oh, I, I failed on that sketch. I'm not going to bring anything to the table for this next one. Like I'm going to constantly be thinking about it. But if I finish it and move on, I've processed it. I've shipped it. And now I can work on something else. Yeah. You know, and you, you inspired another thing too as well. I think it's uh. Uh, I want to say it's Brene Brown or Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, uh-huh. let me see. It's called like Magical Thinking Book. Let me look, look it oh, up. Oh, is right. it Big Magic? Is, is that it? Yeah. Who who wrote that? You know, Elizabeth wrote... Gilbert. Yeah. Oh, the okay. Eat, Pray, Love lady. All right. Well, I was reading Big Magic. I didn't finish it. But she's talking about how we don't own ideas, how ideas choose us. And that if we don't, deliver that idea on time that the idea will find someone else to you know be its deliverer or whatever yes it's so that's happened to me a few times too where like i thought of something and i'm like i'll do it i'll do it and then i'll do it and then someone else would do it i'm like ah wow they thought about that so it's also like i don't know get that idea out there so that the next idea comes and and you could be ready for it ready to accept it too Yes, exactly. So like duo, duo it again. And I don't mean to bring it up again. I feel like that's spot on bringing it up again. And I again, know, and exactly. Again. <laughs> well, 
it's funny. So the LA Improv Summit, right? So you you, you did that show, and the reason I'm not doing it right now is just because I can't afford to do it. Uh, but uh, I gotcha. Yeah, but because it was a good show, but it was like there was like the eighth one, and there are always good shows. It's just like there's other challenges with it, um, but it was a great learning experience for sure. So there was an LA Improv Summit that. For whatever reason, it was all duos. It didn't. Oh. I didn't plan it that way. I did not okay. plan it that way at all. It was all duos, and it was um, a group called Frugal Pirates of Orange County. They're really awesome. And uh, there's a group called Belligerent. They're an old pack house improv team from a few years ago, and they stayed together. They integrated Rich Sound into their group. And Rich, he's an annoyance guy. So if you're interested in improv, in LA, annoying style. Go study with Rich. Rich is a great teacher. I've studied with him for like a year and a half online. Great guy. But anyways, so he did a, he, he did belligerent, which is like six women and him, but only him and another person came by. And then I hosted it with my musical duo, Friend Gully, with my friend Kristen Goal. And it was like four duos that night, maybe one three-person team, maybe one. Uh, oh, there was a mashup team at the end. And it was just amazing improv. And I was like, man, that was a good night of improv. So then... I was uh, driving to LA the next day from Orange County and the song uh, Do It Again from Steely Dan came on. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, if you heard the lyrics, the song is about compulsion and obsession. It's about people who are addicted to things who they say they're going to stop them, but then they keep doing them. But like in a very poetic sense. So it's 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 interesting. I'm a big Stewie Dan fan. Uh, uh-huh. So as I was listening to it, and then like the duos thing came to me, and I was like, "Hey, what if we just got a bunch of duos to play Rashomon?" And Rashomon is a short form game where you get three people and you do a base scene, and then you do that same scene over and over from the perspectives of each player in that scene. It's a real fun game. But like, what if we just kind of did Rashomon times twenty, where we got twenty duos? to improvise the same scene over and over. And even then I wasn't too sure how it was going to happen. And I was like, this is a really good idea. This is a really good idea. And I was like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And And you didn't know, but yourself, you said yes. And exactly, exactly. But who's to say that idea wouldn't have come to somebody else who made all those connections of like, let's take a risk too, you know, like let's take a big swing. So I don't know. It's just like, but the thing is, because Kristen Gold told me this. Because, man, afterwards, we go to the bar and we hang out. Like I said, it, it's a good show if people want to go to the bar and hang out. Uh-huh. And, like, <laughs> we'll go to the bar and we'll hang out. People, like, you know, they don't want to go home right away, you know? Uh, and it's a thing where it's, like, it, Kristen Gold was, like, oh, this is what you wanted the LA Improv Summit to be. <laughs> and I was, uh-huh. like, I was, like, oh, you're right. Because the LA Improv Summit, I always wanted it to be a mini improv fest. But what I forgot about Improv Fest is that you make friends with people you don't know from different communities and parts of the country. Right. So do it again. There's always people who are becoming friends with each other just from seeing each other perform. So it's like, oh, okay. So the spirit of the LA Improv Fest is living in the LA Improv Summit. So it's just interesting that like, but we had to do eight summits minimum, you know, for me to get uh-huh. to that point where I can be like, oh, this is do it again. Had there been no LA Improv Summit, there would be no Duo It Again. And then Do It Again is a successful show. It sells tickets. People buy drinks. People advertise it. They post about it. Uh, you know, I don't tell anyone to post about my shows. When people have a good time at one of my shows as a performer or an audience member, they'll post about it. And that's an honor on me. 
It's not like yeah. I, my emails. I'm not like I don't put like, hey, you better post about my shows. I never do that. Oh, that's yeah. just, that's, that's that's gross, you know. Uh, hey, I'll tell them, hey, can you buy a drink? Can you buy a ticket? Like, you know, to support the venue, I'll, I'll do that. But don't. It's a little too far to be like, you know, praise me blindly on social media. I don't do that. But for you, sure, it's like cringy, icky feeling. Yeah. So, like to say back to your idea of the sketch. It's like, had I not done all these improv summits, which, you know, there are, it's funny. I say artistically successful, but not commercially. And it's, I've been there before and it's, it's how you learn, but it's like, but do it again. It's one of the shows where I'm like, oh, I have artistic success and I have a commercial success, which is great. That's what you want in a show. And, uh, you don't always get it with every show because, you know, when you have both, that's a great engine for longevity and for increase creativity and community and connection so yeah that's what i mean so if you write this sketch you have no idea where it's going to take you down the line for your next sketch for all you know you might write a short film or something well thank you teach because that was an amazing lesson learned and i just love that you said yes and and you didn't get defeated that's the lesson learned too you did not get defeated by the improv summit and, you know, saying, okay, well, that, that was an artistic success, but it w- wasn't as successful as I hoped it would be. You didn't go put your head under a rock and go, oh, I'm a failure forever. You literally got inspired by a Steely Dance song. And then you listened to that idea that was swirling above and it chose you and you listened to it instead of it saying, okay, well, this guy's not interested. I'm going to move on to somebody else who is. So that's super cool. Yeah. And it's funny because it's people are loving the show it's it's crazy people are loving it you know because sometimes, sometimes you do a show and it goes awful and you're like that person will never work with me ever again <laughs> i don't think it happened to you it's happened to me plenty <laughs> you're like all right that- they're not gonna answer my text anymore <laughs> okay uh yeah yeah so it's funny here people are like oh my god can we do the show again can we like you know, what's the next one? Can you sign us up? And it's like, oh man, all right. So I have to create another show to just keep people who are excited to be part of it to keep them engaged. So I made a new show called The Duplex, and it's a spinoff of Duo again. And I've never had a spinoff before either. Oh my god, amazing! Yes, yeah, so I get why the Hollywood makes spinoffs now to capitalize on the <laughs> success, right? Well, The Duplex, it was a show I was toying with, I was testing too. I'm also a big believer in testing things too. So you can test things and test things. Uh, so I was testing the show and the duplex. So basically for this one, I get eight duos and each of them get a hard eight minutes. So oh. that means once the clock hits eight, it's blackout. So okay. it's not like, oh, you're meandering, looking for a button. And yeah. It's just like, no, whatever it is, eight minutes, it ends. And what happens is it keeps the energy going. People are just like, oh, man. So everyone just keeps going and going and going. And at the end we do like a small montage together. And Ooh, cool. Yeah. And that's like, also, you know, I had no idea that was going to work, but for whatever reason it works. Sometimes these things they work and we don't know why they work, but we know they work. So it's like, all right, I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to keep doing it. So um, it's funny that show we did it uh, earlier this month and it was a big success. So it's also the more you that you produce things and try things, the more you learn the, what works, what doesn't work, uh, what to do, what not to do. And sometimes some lessons take 
longer than others to to really be ingrained. Like I imagine you're learning so much about podcasting just by doing this every week. Oh, for sure, one hundred percent. I've been doing it for about four months now since I launched, but I mean, I'm probably on like seven or eight months since I decided to do it. And it's like just always on my mind, but it's not a big like high stakes thing. Mm-hmm. Back to the high stakes thing. Uh, when I first launched, it was like, people have to love this and this has to go so well. And I've got to get so many listeners for this to be worth it. And now I don't feel that way. And I'm uh, about 13, 14 episodes in. It's it's just a thing I do now. Probably like comedy, like comedy's a thing you do. It's a thing you do out of joy and uh, to bring people together and stuff. But yeah, yeah the high stakes aren't there anymore. Uh, and that is part of the journey, too. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely there's stakes involved. I just think when things are high stakes, I think what, what ends up happening is you become really rigid. Yes. You become yes. rigid. And uh, if I learned anything, man, when you're producing things, I'm sure it happens to you in, in like a similar way. It's like all these kind of little fires pop up that you have to put out with whatever is available on, on hand. Yes. You know, I so. so feel that. Oh my God. I feel that so much. <laughs> that brings so true. There you go, right? It's like, for example, last night, my my uh, my friend uh, and partner uh, who hosts Do It Again with Me, Kristen Gall, she couldn't make the show. She 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 was oh like, yeah, she wasn't feeling well. Um, so she's like, hey, I can't do the show. You know, I'll do it if you need me to, but I'm not in a place to do it. And I was like, no, don't do it. I'll find a sub. And I said that knowing like, who am I gonna ask? <laughs> so like, I asked like five people, and all of them said no, uh, except one. Uh, which is Wendy, Wendy, uh, Wendy for Wend- the win. Yes. Wendy for the win. And then like, it was like, Oh, I need like a specific type of person too. And it's like, I just can't ask anyone willy nilly right. to be someone who I know was going to be down to do this weird thing. If they've never done it. Um, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I'm here. And I was like, Oh, you saved the day. Uh, but you know, if you're really rigid, it's like, no, it has to be this person. It has to be this person. If not, it's not going to go well. So, but you just can't. When I mean, you're high stakes, that doesn't mean you can't bring the importance of a high stakes thing to the work you do. You just can't let it stiffen you in terms of being agile and how you respond to things. Beautifully said. I am just taking a mental note of that right now because that was just, oh, that, that lands, that hits, that plays, <laughs> however, you, whatever you say to um, say that that resonates. Uh, It surely did. Um, Fernando, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we're talking a lot about you producing shows. What calls you to produce shows? And on your bios, it says you like to bring people together, which I think all of us could agree listening to you. Like, certainly that is a core uh, component to your purpose. Like you love bringing people together. So what calls you to do that? You know, I have no idea. That, that's why. That's why I go back to the to the religion aspect of it. Uh, yeah, because uh, it's at least in Orange County, you'd be surprised how many like ex Christians do improv or low key Christians do it, or people who are raised religious. I was kind of raised religious. I went to Catholic school for a long time. Mm. Um, I did too. Yeah. Oh, there you go. All right. So you know, you you, you get all of it too. <laughs> so that fits too yeah yeah it's funny it's always fun meeting a, a cafe school person 
as an adult. It's like, oh, we got each other at some weird level. I went to an all girls Catholic school, so that's oh man. Where was <laughs> that this? Was at? Very in New Orleans, oh. which is uh, very customary. Like all of the schools, not all of them, but a lot of them are uh, same sex. Like all girls are all boys. Oh, Catholic schools. okay, that's really that's really old school. Well, very old school, yeah. Um, so maybe that's why I see all the the, the religion uh, parallels. Um. You know, when I was in college, when I was at university, when I was in UC Berkeley, some of us started a group together called uh, TBD Comedy. And man, that first year was rough. That first year was rough. I'm not going to lie. But our second year, we would do shows like every two weeks or whatever to like a good house, sometimes a packed house or sold out house, whatever. And then we go party afterwards. <laughs> um, I was the intern. I think it was improv. So every Friday night. So I was just watching improv and doing improv. And then I joined a team there. And long story short, I was doing a show like maybe once a week, maybe every 10 days, that kind of thing. So when I came home, it just, I wasn't performing that much. Um, And I missed it. And there was only like a handful of shows I could do. And I had one guaranteed show a month. And I was like, I need to perform. So I just, I need to perform. I like being around comedy and improv and people and so. people yeah <laughs> yeah but it's also a thing where it's like i also need to be creatively stimulated so i'm like oh I'll do sketch i'll do poetry i'll do uh what have you whatever whatever is you know calling to me in that moment so uh, i produce because i have a need to perform yeah that's probably the biggest that's probably the biggest thing i have a need to perform so you know i have to find a way to do that and um so i don't know other people want to perform as well so it's yeah uh, it's everyone wins <laughs> i love it 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 comes from a place of selflessness and a bit of selfish like you want to perform but also you yeah. want to help others it, it's so true like there are many stages in the la area to perform but sometimes not enough and you just gotta get up there and perform more yeah it's like there's this forum i think it's uh Everyone should join it. It's it's run by a great guy named Chris Griswold. I think that's his name. Uh, it's called Improv Discussion and Resources on Facebook. It's a great. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah uh, I'll join that. Yeah, I don't really know him. Uh, I think I only met him once. Uh, but he, he seems like a great guy. And uh, he's always posting very thought-provoking topics on there or questions for people of all experiences. And someone posted like, you know, you know how do you perform more? <laughs> and i just said book your own shows uh-huh and then you know people liked it and because it's it's true too you know it's funny throughout the years man it's happened to me a bunch and i always feel bad for these people because i can't help them like I, i'm trying to help them but they're not listening uh, or maybe they, they just they're listening but maybe not what it is it's like fernando how do i do more shows man like how do i perform more and I'll tell them, well, you know, go get a practice group going, start practicing with them. Yeah. Go find a place you could do a show once a month, once a week if you're up to it. And uh, you can do that. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. Right. That's <laughs> too hard. What's the easy route? What's the easy button here yeah. that I could hit? Yeah. And it's like, can I just be friends with you and like you book me? And <laughs> a part of so it is that's like, your next step, uh, improv manager. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know you that well. <laughs> I just can't. Or sometimes I, I don't know. Sometimes I like you. I'll give you stage time. Like one of my, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Victor Brown, leave us. He literally, 
I put a call out who wants to do a Latinx show. And he filled out a spreadsheet we made. And he even say hello. I looked at his video and I was like, this guy's funny. And I messaged him and he's like, he's done the most Pachanga shows out of anybody next oh, to Oh, amazing. He's a very talented guy. Just like superstar performer. Um, but people always ask me like, how do I get, people like, how do I break into the community? How do I get more involved? And I'll be like, well, just show up to things, start talking to people, just give it time. You'll make friends. Like, well, I don't want to do that. That consistency piece is really hard sometimes yeah exactly you know and uh i forget that too you know um but it's like if you want to perform you'll find a way to do it uh but also it's like you know i've had a lot of bad shows too where i'm like oh i made so many mistakes on that one but now it's like if you produce a show like just basic stuff you know over communicate whoever you're gonna book just over communicate with them you know you might know something and you assume someone else knows it because it's in the email or uh, we said it in person at the bar, but people forget right. things all the time. And because you're thinking about it all the time, you don't forget it. But it's like, no, you have to remind people. You have to tell them this. You have to have patience with them. You have to have grace. Uh, if you work at a venue, what are their rules that you got to follow along? What's your yes. agreement with them? What do you have to deliver on your end for them so you can come back? You know, uh, It's a lot of things I would have known beforehand. I'm glad I'm learning them, though. They're great things to know. Um, yeah but i just i love to perform i love to put up shows and like i said everything everything builds on top of everything so like i i don't know how long i'm gonna do do it again but maybe who knows but ride the wave ride that momentum wave it's going well keep going yeah exactly i'm gonna ride it uh but who knows what that's gonna inspire exactly another idea that inspires something else and uh you know, as long as you're staying inspired and staying, like, as long as you're staying inspired, it's easy to do this forever. All the all the people who I know who, who are still doing it and who are in love with it, and they're not entrenched. Like, they're not like, I own this community, mm. so I can't leave it. Uh, that happens. Nothing against that. But the people who are, like, really, who are still doing it, it's because it brings them joy. Or they're still being inspired by it in some way to do new things and try new things. So if you want to keep it going, you have to try new things. And it's funny because a lot of people, they start with improv. And improv is just a gateway to do clown or sketch <laughs> or do stand-up. And then they'll never do improv again. Nothing wrong with that. But it's just funny. Improv is just kind of like the base for them to to do that thing that they really wanted to do, which maybe they already knew or maybe they didn't know, but they discovered it because of improv. So any artist, if you want to stay in it where you keep creating, you just have to keep being inspired and just showing up to do the work. I am just laughing because in this episode alone, we have described improv as a religion and now as a gateway drug to other forms of comedy. Mm. which i love i love it improv is all things <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's great it totally is a gateway drug i mean it is an addiction though people spend so much money it's to true do, to do improv you know and like these classes man they're expensive too like oh yeah i don't know how much mm-hmm. level one now ucb now is but it's like what i don't know it's over like 500 it's 500 yeah or 525 it's something around there now yeah yeah you know so it's like <sighs> That's a lot of money, you know. I know Impro is like around there too. Pack is cheap. Uh, so go straight to Pack. Well, uh, but even then, it's like it just. I remember 
people are being like, yeah, I, I took level one right now, but I can't take level two because I have to I have to build up a payment for that. I have and to eat and pay my rent. Yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, it's also addiction too because you know you, you have to put gas in your car to go there. You know, you have yeah. to buy tickets to go to shows. You have to buy a drink at the show or whatever. Oh it yeah. Is, I mean, it is kind of a money pit in, in a lot of ways. If uh, you know, if you're not thinking about it, so yeah, it, it can be a gateway drug. And uh, <laughs> comedy is definitely for uh, big chunks of it. It is definitely pay to play, unfortunately. Yeah, I do feel that. <laughs> you know, my husband actually said today he was looking at the credit card. He's like, "You've been spending a lot on improv," and I was like, "I know, and it's worth it." <laughs> i'm sorry but it's worth it <laughs> hell yeah like if you're happy then like yeah do it and now it's part of the business as well so that's a whole thing too um that's part of my my business and my podcast and everything but anyway just just funny that you bring that up and it was also called to my attention today <laughs> oh i mean hey at least you're aware of it people might not be aware of it it's just a, it's a it's an interesting thing. I've just been involved in it to see all the different layers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So you brought up as a way people ask you about, like, how do I get on stage? How do I perform? And you're like, try new things, you know, put yourself out there. And you did just that with your write a poem a day goal. And yeah. I want to know more about this. So when did you set the goal to write a poem a day? I think it was six years ago I started it. Wow. Okay. But the first two years, I never got, I never completed it. I think my first year, I got to like 275, and the second year, I got to 265. Still really impressive there, majority of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was uh, four years ago that I was able to do it for the first time. So this is uh, my fourth year where I'm about to uh, complete it. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. I, <laughs> I'm so impressed. Well done. I know. Well, it's crazy now, look, because now I have all these habits implemented specifically just to make sure I write that poem. So every day I read for an hour and I'll journal for 20 minutes. And once I do that, I can write my poem. And ah. it's funny, the days that I do that, my poems, I'm more happy with them. And then the days I don't do that, I don't write great stuff. Sometimes I put stuff up there. I'm like, this isn't my best stuff, but I have to ship it too. And it also goes back to improv and improv. This is something I discovered organically, but that other improvisers have as well. And it's the idea that you're only as good as your last show. Yep. I've heard that before. Yeah. And uh, maybe I heard it from someone and I picked it up or it was just, I was performing a lot and it just made sense to me. Cause like, man, sometimes I would have an amazing show. This is years ago, an amazing show. And it's like the best high in the world and you don't want to go to sleep and, you don't want to, you just want to live in that, in that, in that high. That's what, that's like to go to the bar too. Like I said before, it's extended. Yes, high. live in that high. <laughs> yeah, it's a great high, you know? Um, I mean, you don't need drugs. You have improv. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But the thing is, it's also back to drugs too. The crash of a bad show. Oh man. I've had shows where like people look at me in the eyes with disgust. Like people who know me. And it's just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And I'll like race out of the parking lot because you're just like, oh, and you're, you just feel gross and you feel like a failure. And you're just like, do you ever want to apologize? Like, I, I'm always like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I know butted you. Oh, my God, I'm so I'm so sorry. I did. I did this. I'm so I'm like, I almost want to like apologize for it. Is that, 
Sometimes, yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. I remember I did a show years ago where I was like, well, I freaking sucked in that show. And then someone posted about it. Oh, that that Latino guy was so funny. I loved him. And I was like, really? I thought it was terrible. But what I've learned is that uh, I wrote this down recently, too, because it's, it's something I, I'm still struggling with or you have to work with. However you feel about your performance, you keep it private. Or not keep it private. Maybe you share with the performers. But if the audience had a good time, then mm-hmm. there's no reason for you to steal their joy of how they perceived it. If, if you felt like it wasn't an artistic success or you weren't fulfilled or you didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve, that sucks. But if the audience dug it, that's great. You know, uh, another thing too, if other performers, I don't know, it's weird sometimes. It depends what your dynamic with them is too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like there's some performers who like, I don't know, maybe you don't get along great, but you do good improv together. That happens too. It's like with music or I don't know, you, you just get along great, but you don't talk about difficult things. Sometimes all you can do is own up what you did and what you can do better. A dark thing about improv that people don't talk about enough is people always complain about teammates. Oh, I wish this person did that. Or I wish this person was more like this. And what they're saying is, how can I adjust my play to be more in tune with them? Or how can I adjust my play to know that they're going to play this way? You know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. It's like, no, I want them to adapt to me. But maybe they're not even aware that they're like that way. So why would you try to change them in a way that is going to be counteractive to whatever is magical to them as well. It's like gold, you know, it's like the gold doesn't come just like in nuggets. You have to sift it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just human dynamics and team dynamics. I mean, and yeah, if you get too caught up in the drama, but it happens, it happens on, I would dare say like a lot of teams, you know? Oh yeah. It's a common thing in improv. It's I had a team that was kind of, um, eroded from within because of just like i don't want to play with that person oh that kind of stuff and sometimes yeah. you know uh i think if you're starting off everyone's gonna have that at some point uh but the the more you do it the less you should do it or you could just be like you know what this person and i we don't click so you know we'll just walk away from each other no hard feelings right and with the the poem a day like oh yeah that's reminding me i was like what were we talking again <laughs> no no yeah and so with the poem a day like what lessons did you learn from that? One that you were you are a poet because yeah. you write poetry. What other lessons did you learn? Oh man, consistency. <laughs> well, consistency. Well, I've, I've been reading that book, right? I have uh, Lynchpin. I read it a few years ago. Yes, I, I started reading it again just to kind of remind myself. And one of the things he says: not everything you ship will be a masterpiece, but masterpieces always get shipped. I love that. That's it's, powerful. That's powerful. So I imagine you filmed, I'm sorry, you've already filmed and recorded a bunch of these episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's certain episodes where you're like, oh man, that was something incredible right there. But maybe you weren't expecting that. You just showed up to do the work as you do for all of them. But something in that episode happened where you're like, oh man, that's going to be a special one. And you did it because you showed up. So when you show up to do the work, you increase the possibility of magic happening. You know, not all the poems are going to be home runs. Yeah. Occasionally I'll get like a streak of like four really good poems in a week. 
And it's like, sometimes I'll write something that I'm like, I don't like this poem, but I need to hit publish. You got to ship it. You got to ship it. But then that'd be the most popular poem, like <laughs> something I wrote. And I'm like, this is okay. And then people are like, man, that was profound. And I was like, oh, okay. And it goes back to the, like, not changing people's experience of how they receive your work. When you show up to do the work, it's going to change you gradually, you know, um, I always think of water and rocks, you know? Uh, so, like, it's a trip when you go to the beach and you're walking on sand and you don't realize, oh, this used to be a rock that was just slowly pulverized by the ocean over billions of years or whatever. I've literally never had that thought <laughs> on the beach, but that's, that's so true. Yeah, you know, or you look at rocks on the beach and they're smooth, some of them, right? And it's like, yeah. oh, because every day they're hit by water and the water, you know, smooths them out in the tiniest fashion. But if you show up every day, it, it will change you, you know? So like, wow. yeah. So like, if, for example, now I have a, a poetry show called the Dave's and Confused Poetry Club. And uh, that came because uh, Samantha Jane, who's another wonderful artist in the LA community in, in comedy and poetry and music. She just became a fan of my work, and she's like, "I love your poems." She's like, "You're you're writing some amazing things." And I was like, "Oh, thank you, I appreciate that." She's like, "You ever thought about doing a show?" And I was like, "No, I have never thought about doing a show for poetry." She's like, "We should let's do one. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you do it." So she's like, "Let's do a poetry show." So you started the Dave's and Confused Poetry Club, and that was her her name too. She's like, let's call it that, and I was like, "All right, why not?" So we did it on Zoom, and people liked it for the pack, and then we did it at Talk Comic Studio in person, and people liked it, yes. and then we did it. Again, in person, people liked it. So it's like, oh, people liked it. So then I met all these other poets. I had no idea existed. And they're like, thank you for doing this. And then I joined this thing called Community Literature Initiative. And it's a nonprofit that helps writers produce a book of poetry within one year. I already got my manuscript ready. I'm just waiting for it to be, to have a proof printed out. And once I get that proof printed out, I can take it to publishers to see what they think. Are these all the poems that you've kind of, collected and created over the past four to six years no that book would be like this thick right okay <laughs> the book is called the uh, working class ptsd or how i learned to code switch plus love poems and uh it's an interesting book but when you write every day too what i've learned is you're gonna revisit certain themes over and over yeah and the more you write about something the more isn't covered about it what it says about you or society or about life so what's cool about writing these things too um is the topics reveal re reveal themselves to you more so like when i told you about it, improv is a lot like religion it's literally a topic i've been thinking about for years so that's why when i say these things it's because i've thought about them a bunch and yeah they've been on my mind and it just reveals itself to you more and more so What's cool about poetry is like, you know, I'll learn certain things that I didn't know before. Or like, it's kind of like journaling where you're like, oh, I'm writing things out and it's revealing a truth or insight to me. And also with, with shipping or if any kind of thing too, I've also learned is the only consistent reward is the process. So if you enjoy creating it, that is the most consistent reward. And other things... Not saying they're unimportant, but like, you know, if you put too much weight on like, all right, is my best friend coming to my show? Uh, 
is the critic coming to the show? Do I have all the costume pieces I want for uh, my sketch? You know, did I promote the show enough on these channels? And not saying those things don't matter. They do matter, but like they're a little out of your control. I mean, they're mm-hmm. a lot out of your control. Because uh, sometimes, man, I will promote the hell out of a show. Yeah. I will promote it till kingdom come. And I'll just be like, all right, it better sell out. And then no <laughs> one will come. Uh, it's just, it is what it is. And I'm not trying to, uh, to, to put blame on anyone. It's just, that's what happens. And sometimes I'll like promote a show here and there and it'll sell out. Because the people who are in the show are the ones doing right. all the work and i'm like oh all right i'll take it you know it's it's a mystery like i remember oh man one of my very first improv shows my best friend one of my best friends who i grew up with who i thought of a great comedian i was like come to my show dude you'll love it i want you to do it it's like all right i'll try to make it so it's a big show one of my first big like it's like one of those like bringer shows in a way for stand-ups it's a the tournament but it's also a bringer because people have to vote for you or whatever oh so I go and I'm scanning for him in the audience. I'm like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And I got eliminated like first or something like that. And I was so bummed. I was like, oh man, life sucks. And then I called him. I was like, dude, where were you, man? What happened? And he's like, oh, I fell asleep, man. I'm sorry. And I was like, I was like, I was pinning my entire world on you coming to the show. Uh, but he gave me a great lesson, though, that, like, you can't put emphasis on who's going to come to watch. I mean, unless it's, like, Lorna Michaels or something like that, you know. But, like, your goal is just to have a good show. Or your goal is just to have a good writing session. Or your goal is to just have a good pitch meeting, whatever it is. So, in that sense, all you can do is focus on the act of creating it, the process. And then everything else, you know, it's going to turn out how it is. Uh, that's why I say artistic success, commercial failure, because sometimes yeah. the work is amazing, but no one will come to it um, or the audience doesn't come to it. The worst is having a artistic failure and a commercial success because it's like bombing in front of a packed house. That sucks. Oh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's terrible. I feel that so much with the podcast and just any creative pursuit, really like you know, I love what you said. The consistent reward is the process. It's not the likes and the shares on social media. And it's, it's not all the applause and the, the, the love and the praise. Certainly our egos like that. They like to hear that. They like to see it, but the reward really is the process. It's the journey. It's continuing to do it. It's having that great writing session. It's meeting a new friend. Like that's, part of the process i love how you said that that was beautiful well it it goes kind of go back to the sketch versus improv thing where an improv you just show up and the magic happens well you also you rehearse a lot that's part of it too as well yeah yeah not not to discount improv but in sketch it's like all right well i wrote this very specific thing that i think is funny but will it resonate with an audience and so then once it starts once you put it out there and it's not performing how you like to, then it feels like the Titanic sinking, where you're just like, oh my God, this is not coming out the way I wanted it to. So then what you mm-hmm. do is you just kind of double down on 
the sketch and all right, I just got to give a better performance or hit these jokes harder or adjust in the moment. But even then you're going back to the process. So it's funny too. I, I read a blog post a few years ago about how sketch taught me about process versus product. So, well, because also though, if you do want to be a writer or an actor, the product, you do have to make a good product. Right. Sometimes people get too caught up in the process. Uh, So like, I don't know, it's a weird yin and yang thing. You, you, You need both. Process is the most consistent reward. But when you create a good product that people really enjoy, that's a fucking great reward too. <laughs> For sure. And I wanted to ask you, do you have any comedy success goals? I know we're talking about joy and we're talking about the reward as the process. But do you have anything like, if I make it to this, if I do this, then I've made it and everything else will just be a bonus. Or do you feel like you're already there now? Oh, I feel like I'm already there. Yes and no. My goal is eventually to make a living from comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to have my own TV show or something like that. Certainly. That's the the big dream. And you're, I mean, you're on, you're taking steps to do that though. Yeah. What's cool about LA, I'll say this, because everyone talks shit on LA and (laughs) I get it. What's cool about LA though, is that you make friends who are actually making it. You know, so yeah. you make friends like oh, I have a friend. I have a few friends who write on TV shows. That's so cool. Or like sometimes right. I'll see someone who I know they're in a commercial and I'll be like, hey, dad, that's my friend. He's on TV, you know, or it's like you see someone and you're like, oh, I just heard they got a great job. And it's like these are your peers. So it's it does. If they're doing it, it doesn't seem, you know, within out of reach for you to achieve it, you know. Right, so, uh, right. Yeah, you know, and also I just, man, you know, I just I'm learning so many things about writing and producing and directing. And uh, like I say, the more you do it, the more things are revealed to you in terms of like how to make things better. Um, Yeah, not saying everything you do is going to be a home run. And it's common to be like, I just wrote the funniest sketch ever. This thing is going to crush in the table read. And then no one laughs at it. And you're like what what happened right uh, or you'll submit something and you're like i don't know how to feel about this one this one feels iffy and then people will love it they'll be like this is the best thing you've ever written so back to the poem a day thing it's just revealed to me that if you show up magic will happen i love that if you show up magic will happen it's so true um i'll share with you my goal my success goal i've yeah. said it before on the podcast but my goal is if I make it to Comedy Bang Bang, like if I make it on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, boom, done, I've made it. <laughs> like everything else will just be a bonus. But I would love to be on that podcast as a legit character or even as myself, meaning I created something that I get to talk about on the podcast. But I want to make it on that podcast. That's my success goal. Hey, you could do it. Honestly, why not? I mean... I did, uh, I remember a few years ago, I met James Adomian. He came to one of my Latinx shows like on accident. He just was like the girls at the clubhouse and we made friends. And, you know, I love him because he does a Hugh Hauser impression. Hugh Hauser was this uh, local California celebrity. Uh, he did like a public access show. Okay. Uh, if you're from California, you either know who he is or you don't. It's a cult. Okay. Thing. For sure, it's a cultish thing. <laughs> And I'm like, hey, man, I love your Hugh Hauser thing. 
you know? And he's like, yeah, man. Every time I'd see him around, I'd just say hi to him. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm in awe of him. And then, like, a year or two later, uh, Eric Moneypenny, who's the head of the sketch, who's, who's head of the Pack Sketch program, he's a great sketch teacher. I miss TA a bunch of times. Go study with him. Yeah. Um, he had a he had a show called Speed Face. Ah, oh, Speed Face is a great show. Speed Face is a great show. You have ninety seconds to do a bit, and he has a new version oh. of it called uh, Bit Hole, which is awesome. So <laughs> people would do, yeah, Bit Hole is a great show. It's uh, first Fridays of the month at the Pack, eight p.m. Great show. Nice. Um, he Speed Face was just a great show, and he did like a celebrity Speed Face where he got all his like big comedy friends to come do it, and he invited me to do it. And I was like, "Whoa, are you serious?" And then like a bunch of like big UCB people and working comedians were in the back and pack people. And I saw James Adelmi and I was like, "Hey, what's up, James?" And thinking he wasn't remembering, he's like, "Hey, what's up, Fernando? How's it going? How you doing?" Yeah, we just hung out for a minute. And I was like, "Oh, that's so cool because you see him on TV. He's on uh, he's on Harley Quinn. He's on The Venture Brothers." Uh, but I love him as Hugh Hauser. And I was like, oh, we're hanging out in the back for a show? I, yeah, I guess we're peers yes. for the moment. You yes. know? He did a great bit. He did uh, Alec Baldwin doing Donald Trump. That was such a good bit. And then nice. I did my bit with my friend Ali Ramirez. We did, like, a telenovela in 90 seconds. Nice. People, like, loved it. He got one of the craziest responses I ever got. Uh, but, like, I could say I was in the same bill as uh, James Adelmian which is pretty cool. So I think you could do that easily with, with them. Yeah. I think it's within reason. I love those moments that you have. You're like, okay, five years ago, I never would have imagined I'd be here. And now I'm here and this is cool. So I do love those kind of moments. Oh yeah, man. Trust me. It's a, it's within reach. You know, it's like one of my really good friends. She's a working TV writer. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, it's all a fit reach. It's a lot of luck too, but there's also that um, there's that Lee Trevino quote. He's a golfer. Uh, I don't know if I think he was a good golfer. I never seen him golf, but uh, his quote is, "The harder I work, the luckier I get." So, oh, I love that too, man! You have so many quotes and books, and <laughs> oh man! Well, you know, if you're gonna write, you have to read so much. If I, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like writing a poem a day. I have to be reading like a book a week at least to just keep the keep me inspired for for things to write about. Well, and you are so creative. Like you you write, you play music, you do comedy, you speak. Uh, you're just a very creative human, though. Overall, like you've got creativity oozing out of you. Yes. Uh, do you have any uh, creative goals or pursuits you'd like to do for this year, 2023? Oh, man. Well, I want to take uh, my poetry book and I want to turn it into a one-man show. So I want to do oh. that. Yeah. I, I've only done a one one-man show before and it was an accident. Um, <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a one-man show, but it, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I did a talk show and ended up becoming just me doing like 90% of the stuff. So you were the host uh, and the guest. On for the talk me, show. I like I did the host. I did the, like the opening bits. Um, <laughs> I did like a sketch with my friend who was like new to comedy, so he didn't get what I was trying to do with him. It was a very awkward show. Wow. But, um, <laughs> but you know what, man? I learned so much from that show. Uh, failure is a great teacher. Um, 
Yeah, just keep producing things, uh, submit to competitions. So yeah, you gotta submit to competition. Because yeah. like I said, like when you have friends who are working in, in the industry or mentors, like I have a bunch of mentors who are working in the industry. It's like, oh, they're doing it. It's just I, I, I just need my lucky break. That's all. I need I need my lucky break. Yeah, because you're you're doing the work, you're showing up, so it's just a matter of timing. And your poems are awesome. Like I re- read them every day. I see you post them. Like you do not take a day off. You are doing the work. Yeah, and it's funny because sometimes, man, I'm telling you, I'll write something that I'm like, this is the best thing I ever wrote, and then it won't get the response I'm expecting. Yeah. Or that sometimes I'll be like, all right, I publish this, and people will like they'll DM me like, that was beautiful. Thank you for writing that. <laughs> and. It's just like you just put it out there and it's it's up to the world to receive it how they want to receive it. Uh, once you create it, it's like out of your hands. But you can still be proud of it. Like you're like, I love this poem, even though it didn't get the reception I thought it would get. Like, I still love the work that I did for it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're totally right. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, all right. People liked it. It's funny. Sometimes I read a poem. There's a poem I wrote. It's about dating apps that I wrote it because I saw that another poem I read about dating got a great response. So I was like, oh, people like this topic. All right. Maybe I can mine it more. It didn't get, it it didn't get as many likes, but when I read that poem at shows, people like that poem a lot. They like it more. They like it more than the other dating poem. And like, people love this poem about dating. Like they go crazy for it. So it's also a thing of like the mediums too. It's like, yes, it's like the different mediums. Uh, I have a short film called the American dream that was uh, directed by uh Baldev Sandu. He was a teammate of mine on Moonshot. Great guy. And nice. produced by uh, my friend, uh, Valerie Vasilis who's also awesome. They produced it. And uh, it's funny the sketch it's about me. I'm playing my dad. And uh, we're about to cross the border to come into America from Mexico. My friends are from El Salvador, but everyone crosses through Mexico. And it's him and these other guys, and they're talking about the American dream. But they're not talking. They're talking about two guys who are like, yeah, I want like a like a house with a white picket fence and a beautiful wife and kids and all that stuff. And then my dad's talking about like, well, you know, I want to struggle economically and have difficult relationships with my children, <laughs> like stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I talk about, you know, having to, uh, code switch and work harder than others and that kind of stuff. It's funny, but that's, I got it to 43 film festivals and it was received differently by 43 different audiences and people love it for different reasons. And uh, I showed it to my dad he's like, what is this? This is so negative. I'm like, no, it was beautiful. You don't get it. He's like, I, I, he just didn't get it the way I wanted to. He, it took him a right. while. But other people were like, man, I get that. It's funny. We did it in Spanish. The first time we played it for like a majority white audience, they laughed. They laughed. They got it on one level. As we workshopped the sketch, we did it in Spanish for a Latino audience. And they did not mm. laugh. But they were like sighing. And they're like clapping, like snapping their fingers. They received it differently. So it's also like your work, where you put it up, and who you put it up for will impact uh, how it's how it's received too. So like when you perform a lot too, you just learn that oh, people are gonna receive your work differently in different spaces, and also you learn to make adjustments 
within your performance so that the whoever you're performing for receives it in a positive way. I'm sorry, I'm I'm being silent because I'm just like soaking all that in because that's it's such a great observation too of the the work and the different audiences and we all bring different unique backgrounds too and I'm just wondering too if the Latinx audience that you performed like maybe it was it was more real like it was on such a real level that it they didn't laugh but it hit so close to home like they were really feeling it too and that that caused the size and yeah that's yeah it's a lot you know it's it's all received (laughs) everything is received differently by just different audiences and it's cool to have something that plays universally and yes it's funny because the more specific you are of something the more universal it resonates with people Mm. so i've written things that are deeply personal and deeply specific look at a very wide response from people so it's interesting it's just like being vulnerable exactly exactly yeah uh, i also have one more thing i want to encourage everyone if you can try to perform in spaces that are not your home space oh that's a good tip what how so why the reason i say that is because if you only perform in one place you're only going to know to perform in that one place and you're going to think that you're like amazing, but that's because you've only played in that one place. And that's all, you know, if you want to be a really good performer, you have to perform in different places just to see how it is to get the feeling of how to make adjustments. You know, it's like playing in different baseball parks. Yeah. Different audiences, different. That's a really good tip. Any other lasting, any any other last minute tips you want to share before we wrap up? Man, <laughs> I mean, uh, you've shared so many, but anything like, oh, I got to get this out. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll say this. Just read things and just see how you can apply them to your improv journey and stuff like that. That's all I would say. You can juxtapose a lot of things. It's just switch out this idea for that idea and apply it to improv. You know, uh, for all I know, we can do do, do it again with musicians where it's like, all right, we're going to improvise this little ditty here with (laughs) 20 other groups to do their own version of it. That's it might be something we do one day. Who knows? But that would be cool. That would be super cool. Well, Fernando, you are a wealth of knowledge and experience. I have just seriously, I can listen to you talk about improv and comedy all day. I want to see your one man show for sure. When that, when you put it together, when the book is ready, Oh, I can't wait. I will be, I don't sit in the front. I'll sit. Oh. I'll be second second row in the audience. <laughs> and, I'll get you uh, comps. Just, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, but where can our listeners find out more about you and follow you at? Follow me on Instagram at Fernando A. Funes. So that's it. No separation between my private and professional life. All the poems are there too, right? All the poems, all the promos. Yeah, so I publish everything on Instagram and I use that as my hub for cross-posting to other platforms. But yeah, Instagram, that's the best place to find me. And yeah, you have an improv blog, which has some of the poems, right? Or is that more thoughts? I have to make a new blog. My poetry blog (laughs) is complicated. I messed up the name. I have to make a new blog. My poetry is called, (laughs) it's called the Sisyphus Life.wordpress.com. It's too long of a name. 
Uh, oh, yeah, you got too deep, too deep on that one. Yeah, at least you got it. Thank you for getting it. Most people don't get it. Because uh, <laughs> Sisyphus is the Greek god who had to roll up the boulder up the hill every day. So, uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. But see, it's too long. Even I can't get it right, and I try to find it. That's. Uh, I have to make a new one. That's more Fernando Poma Day. That's what I got to make. Fernando's. Poma yeah. Day. Keep it simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, any shows to plug? Sure. Every first Thursday of the month, there's a duplex at the Glendo Room. Uh, it's a duo showcase. Third Thursday of the month at the Glendo Room, there's uh, Fernando's Long Form Supreme. Uh, uh, <laughs> long Form Team. Yeah, I got to get your team on there. I just love that name. I know. I didn't come up with it. Sean Casey did, but I was like, all right, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> uh, look out for Duo again. Uh, that's coming yes. at, at the Lyric uh, Nuisance, second and fourth Sundays at the Pack Theater at 8 p.m. Uh, Moonshot for Sunday of the month at um, at 9 p.m. Uh, Pinata party third Friday of the month at the Ledge at 8 p.m. Uh, Cunados my uh, panel game my panel show game every other Friday at the Pack every other first Friday at 8 p.m. Oh my just, god! There's just too many shows. There's just a lot. How do you keep it all together? I mean, obviously a calendar helps, but how do you keep it all together? Oh, all right. Here's a secret, too. I'm getting a lot of co-producers, too, so they help out, too. Oh. Yeah, co-producers. My sister does all my social media for those shows, so uh, she's a big help. So it's, it, it, there's a team that works with me. It's a small team, but uh, yeah. trust me. Like, yeah, it's it's a lot of help, and the venues are all very nice and patient with me. So, I yeah, I, I've, I've lucked out, too. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's all, it's all inertia. It's just momentum. And ride it that duo it again. I'm if I'm in town, I'm coming to the next show for sure because it sounds like such a blast. So I can't wait to see it. Yeah, uh, April 30th is the next duo it again. Okay. So if you want to do it, uh, 9 p.m. at the Lyric Hyperion. So okay, if, if you have a partner, I would love to have you do it. Yes, oh, that's so fun, Fernando. I love, 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 love what you're doing. Thanks for sharing your stories and your experience. Uh, it's so helpful, and you just you've helped so many people in the community and in comedy. It's, it's really beautiful. And, you know, I know you've got more goals and successes to reach. It's coming. You're putting in the work. I'm so happy for oh, thank you. you. Thank you. Great talking to you today. It's been awesome to share my experience with you. And I'm so glad you have this podcast and, you know, I hope this podcast blows up and that you blow up too. And then you get to do that show with uh, County bang bang. <laughs> thank you. And I'm, I'm putting in the work and, you know, as we talked, you were saying, you were motivated to start up your podcast again. I am motivated to start up my sketch writing again. So we have motivated each other today. Awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. Just show up and the magic will happen. And thank you for showing up today and listening to this episode. <laughs> I know it was a long one, but also I like long podcasts. If you can't tell, all my episodes, especially the ones with guests, are over an hour usually. I like long podcasts because you can get a lot done. You can get chores done or you just kind of get into a groove and it doesn't just stop. So for those long-term chores and tasks or walks, long podcasts are great. And that's what this one did. So you're welcome for that long walk and long chore you got to do today while listening. I so enjoyed this episode. Fernando is amazing. He is a walking 
quote book here. He knows so many quotes and so many profound lessons from books. I'm astounded. I, I try to remember a quote and I'm like, oh, uh, I'll just mess it up completely. And he's so good at that. He had so many nuggets of wisdom. I just love the showing up, you know, show up and do the work. And I like the idea of artistic success versus commercial success and delineating between the two. And certainly we want commercial success, but you also have to have a good product too. And finding the balance of both and also finding the joy. There are so many lessons learned here. I had a great time and I want to tell you the impetus on on how I got Fernando to come on or why I asked Fernando. I already knew he was a great improviser, but I saw one of his poems that he wrote. I think it was in early to mid-January and it was about body image issues and how we treat our bodies so harshly. We talk negatively about them and we do all these things to hurt and harm them, either not eating or taking things we shouldn't or eating poorly. And it just really resonated. And I think that was one that got a lot of comments on, if I can remember, because I commented on it too. I was like, oh my God, that was beautiful. That resonates so much. And then I was like, oh, he does this poem a day thing. That's so cool. I want to talk to him about that. And I didn't even realize, I thought he had done it for a year. I thought it was like a 2022 thing. And then he kept it going in 2023. And to know that it has been going on for basically six years, four to six years, he's been doing this poem a day journey is huge. Oh my God, that's amazing. I'm blown away by the level of consistency there. And it's just now basically a habit for him. And it's not something that he has to do or he's forcing himself to do. He's kind of listening and and getting himself into the process. So whatever comes, he writes. Super cool. It's really inspiring. And I'm motivated by that a ton. I'm really motivated by him and his work ethic and all the things he posts are so profound. So please follow him on either Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, whatever you like to use. I think he, you know, uses IG and then blasts it elsewhere, but it's so cool to see what he's doing and he's always doing shows. He's always in shows. It's it's awesome. He's very dedicated to the craft and all that hard work is paying off now. I mean, it's he's gotten so many skills out of it and it'll continue paying off for him. So well done, Fernando. And for you listening, we talked a lot today about showing up and how the consistent reward is the process. So I want to ask you in reflection, how is your process? Are you consistently showing up and putting in the work, or do you want to hit the easy button and say, well, I want to perform more, but I don't want to produce a show, or I don't want to do all that. I just want to, I just want to get up on stage, you know, in whatever form that is. Like, do you want to write a book? Or I don't know. <laughs> Writing a book seems so hard. So again, kudos to Fernando for putting together his poetry book. Uh, what is it that you're trying to do? And how are you showing up for it? How are you being consistent about it? Are you getting in your head about it? 
and letting that self-talk take over and say, well, what's the point? No one's liking it. No one's noticing it. It doesn't matter. It has to matter to you first. I am blown away by all the amazing people that I get to talk to on this podcast. And I know that we a lot of times focus it on the lens of improv or comedy or some version of it. And we kind of talk about the journey through that lens of improv and such, but it can relate to so much. It can relate to everything we're doing. Any kind of creative pursuit you're doing has so many emotions that come up along the way, and it really can affect our progress and our consistency of continuing on. So I hope you found today very inspiring. I know I did, and I'm going to go finish that sketch and ship it, ship it off, ship it out. So that way it's done and I can continue on. I I am really motivated to start again on the sketch thing. Just hearing Fernando talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to get back into writing. So what are you motivated by? What are you going to pick up? What are you going to start doing again or continue doing? How are you going to show up? I would love to hear if you feel like sharing, please, please reach out to me. You can email me at Dana at Improbably Speaking. That's D-A-Y-N-A at ImprobablySpeaking.com. I'm on Instagram at Improbably Speaking. On LinkedIn, I'm at Dana Gowan. And you know, reach out to me. I'm happy to chat, happy to know what you're trying to achieve. What are your goals? Where are you missing the mark? And how can we show up for each other and help each other achieve our goals? There's so much to do. There's so much to get done. But the key thing is you can't get it all done in one day. (laughs) So how can you consistently keep working on it every day so that you do eventually reach your goal and hit that mark and get it done? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up and listening and supporting and probably speaking. I'm so grateful for you and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you next time.